0: i could stay here forever carvana where car buying meets comfort meets convenience download the app or visit carvana.com today
1: welcome to episode 611 with my return guest graham elwood i am paul Gilmartin. this is the metal illness happy hour a place for honesty about all the bullshit bouncing around in our skulls from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking, and this show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist. Website for this show is mentalpod.com, and mentalpod also the social media handles. You can follow us at Let's dive into some surveys. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by Anna Banana, and she asks, will you ever do another episode where you are interviewed again? Um, I was interviewed, God, I don't know, maybe six years ago, seven years ago, something like that, by my friend Lisa Arch. Um, I don't know. It feels like I I share enough stuff on uh, the podcast, uh, but I'll, I'll certainly keep it in mind. Um, I'm not sure what I would, I guess and there's a lot of stuff that I could share if I were interviewed again, but I'm not feeling like a big, uh, necessity to, uh, to do that, but I appreciate you asking, but fuck off. How's that? How's that for an answer? Why don't you mind your own business? Huh? Stop poking your nose in my stuff. <laughs> no. Uh, I will definitely think about that. This is also from the Ask Paul Anything survey, and this is filled out by a trans man who refers to himself as potentially fucked up. And he says, uh, hi, Paul, I'm going to talk to my therapist about this, but I wanted to get your opinion as well. When is a sexual fantasy an issue? It's an incest fantasy, and it's very powerful to me, but also leaves me feeling icky and guilty, especially when I role-play with someone else through the Internet. I think I should stop doing that because I'm really concerned that the other person, the dominant in this fantasy, would be more likely to act on it and harm someone. Any advice is appreciated. Um, You didn't specify whether or not that fear is a general fear or if specific things have happened that lead you to believe this. Um, because in a really important part of role playing, and again, I, I'm glad you're going to run all this by your therapist because these are just my opinions, but trust in any sexual situation, I think, especially role playing where there's, you know, a power dynamic at work. Trust is really, really important. Um, There's nothing morally wrong with role-playing things that would be illegal in real life as long as it's between consenting adults and no laws are being broken. And the thing I think to ask yourself is, is there transparency? Are there boundaries? Is there trust? And is it being done in a non-addictive way? And and by non-addictive, I mean, um, is it interfering with other areas of your life? Is it causing overwhelming distress? Uh, is it distracting you from other areas of your life? Is it is it negatively impacting your inner life or your outer life? Things that you, you know, want to get done or accomplish. Are you missing deadlines? Are you withdrawing socially or emotionally from people in your life? And a really, really important question, I think, when it comes to fantasies and exploration and all that kind of stuff is are you using it as a substitute for intimacy rather than something to add to intimacy in your life? So is it an escape or is it an embrace of something? I don't know if that makes sense, but thank you for your your question. I think it's a really, really great question and, and, and really important because I think a lot of people struggle with You know, am I doing this right? Am I doing sex right? Um, Is this healthy? Is this unhealthy? And especially for those of us that were raised in households where there weren't a lot of boundaries, or we were raised in a religion where we were made to think that if it feels good, it's immoral. So yeah, just some thoughts to think about. This is also from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Mello. And he writes, "Uh, I would like to know how you personally cope with the constant loss that life brings. I was raised in a very logic-oriented household, and I can't seem to possibly cope with the fact that no matter what I do or gain, I'll just end up losing it all. I've been told to enjoy it while it lasts, but what can I do? What can I enjoy that will overshadow how much I'll miss it when it's gone? Thank you. Um, That's a great question. You know, that's so funny because I was just thinking recently about this feeling that I get like when I go back to my hometown or I go back to the campus of the college that I went to and this sadness comes over me like... I want to get in a time machine and go back and re-experience things. And it almost feels like a vague sense of somebody having died. And I don't know why the predominant feeling is sadness and loss rather than like fond memories. And I don't know, is that depression? Maybe there's some depression going on with you. But I think it's important that you keep talking about it and you keep seeking ways to help you become more present in your daily life. There's a great book by Eckhart Tolle called The Power of Now, and and actually his follow-up book, which I'm an even bigger fan of, called A New Earth. And those books really, really help you become aware of that part of the brain that focuses on the negative and is fear-based. So that would be my suggestion. Or every time you lose something, have a tiny little funeral for it and invite everybody that you know. I think reading the book would probably be simpler. This podcast is sponsored by online therapy provider BetterHelp. They have been a sponsor of ours for, God, seven years, something like that. A long time. Love my therapist Heidi. As I share every week, she's helping me with uh, my struggle to walk through the fear of expanding my life by taking professional chances, putting myself out there, risking rejection, and uh, problem solving is a really, really important part of the client-therapist relationship in in my experience. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time. So when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com mental. Do it today and you get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com mental. And be sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from the podcast. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air, Pulitzer Prize finalist and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. And then finally, this is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Mere Muse. And she writes, I was sitting in the bathroom stall at work, worrying about my mom's memory and competence. Does she need help? Can she still dress herself? Should we look into a nurse or housing? Then I realize I have my underwear on inside out. Your fear of death is your love of life in reverse.
0: gotta look
1: for him will one day be your greatest strength
0: and when you find them it's a great feeling
1: and i'm suddenly feeling horrible about <laughs> making that joke but that's how far i will go to get a laugh because i am empty inside ah uh, you're in the right place i am here with my buddy grandma wood who have known uh since the moon landing i believe
0: <laughs> right, yeah we were both there we're, we're both watching it
1: uh it's it's good to have You back on the podcast, you were one of my first guests uh, back in 2011, 2012, something like that.
0: And we were, I think, what were at Bridgetown Comedy Festival, maybe? I think we were. And you were doing, like, interviews in the hotel room. It was such a cool concept of you doing this podcast. And then we interviewed you for Earbuds, the podcasting documentary, about how this, you know, why podcasting is so unique that you could come up with this format that's like
1: and the relationship kind of between listeners and podcasters mm-hmm. and how it, it goes so much deeper than, you know, people that listen to the radio mm-hmm. or et cetera. Um, you and I were talking a uh, couple of weeks ago, and you're in a support group that deals with debt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you were telling me some of the things that you're working on in your life and the tools that you've been using to uh, address kind of lifelong issues with money and debt and under earning and I was like man let's stop right there this would make a great episode for the podcast because I know a lot of people there's emotional and historical stuff mm-hmm. attached to finances
0: yeah it's it's one of those things so I, you know I've been doing you know other support groups for since 2008 that have been helpful um You know, grew up in an alcoholic home. I had, and then in 2017, I had repressed memories of childhood trauma come forward. And you were one of the people that said, you need to go get professional help. And you recommended, you and several others recommended EMDR. And And that helped? Very much. Very much. Very much helped. And so I did EMDR for two and a half years. And I'd been in this other recovery support group for a long time. and, um, And then I was like it was December of 2019 and I was putting my numbers together to get to my accountant for the end of the year and I was like I had a pretty decent year why why do I have nothing to show for it and I had a uh, childhood comic book collection that I had like a year or two prior given to someone at a comic book store to put on up for sale and there was a couple titles in there Frank Miller's um Dark Knight, which was a first gra- like graphic novel came out in the mm-hmm. 80s, and it really showed Batman in this gritty, and it's a lot of the Christopher Nolan movies reference that. Um, and I'm a huge Batman fan, right? So I, I, I just love the grittiness. And he's, you know, he's one of the only superheroes that has PTSD. He saw his parents get, get assassinated, so it, right, right. it really drives who he is. Dark Knight graphic novel series that came out in the 80s was, like, transformative for me in terms of, like, it showed, gr- Gotham was just gritty, dirty, and Batman came on comes out of retirement and it meant a lot to me. And I had three originals, first editions. When, I, when that came out, I bought two copies of each one. One to read and one to keep in a comic book bag. Mm-hmm. And so it had been in a bag for 30, 40 years. Um and I put those up for sale. And that was painful. I realized I put them up for sale two years prior when I was going through a rough breakup and, you know, someone was within relationship with somebody that was using drugs and it got really, and I had to get a restraining order. It was really rough. Mm -hmm. And I was going through a tough time. It's funny. When I gave them to the comic book store guy in 2017, he goes, so what's going on? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And I was like, what? He goes, what's going on? Every time I got a guy in his 40s wanting to sell his comic book collection from his childhood, something's up. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, and I was like, well, is it cocaine a- or a lady? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> you embezzle from a bank? Which one? What do we got going on? <laughs> Turns out it was a lady who was doing cocaine. Um, and so I kind of forgotten about it. And I kept remember, kept thinking, oh, I should at least tell him I don't want these three sold and sold. He can sell the other ones. But these three meant a lot to me. And I never did. And they got sold. And I got a check oh, for Oh, because you
1: were just putting them on consignment.
0: Yeah, just putting them on consignment and forgot about them. But I kept thinking, I want to save the three Frank Miller ones. Because the rest of them really didn't mean much to me emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I never did. And then I got the check in December of 19. And, and some friends were like, oh, awesome, make us some money. And I was like, oh. And I was like, I heard. And I, because I had done EMDR for two and a half years, I'd really started doing inner child work and listening to my inner child. And talking to my inner And when I'm flipping out going, oh, this is my inner child. And then talking to my inner child the way a loving parent would. Mm-hmm. The way I kind of wasn't. And say, it's okay, pal. It's all right to be scared. And my inner child was like, you sold our comic books? And I was like, this is what a junkie would do. A junkie would sell stuff like this. And I talked to one of my friends in the support group's that was also in some of the money support groups. And they were like, yeah, you might want to think about coming to some of these meetings. So it wasn't
1: a, a financial decision from the place of, I think, the markets peaked. It, because that, that all took a backseat to the fact that you had an emotional attachment to this. And you found yourself in a precarious financial position that in hindsight, you're like, this could have been prevented to some degree. I, I could have been taking some type of action to have not gotten into this. This wasn't just the fates of, uh, you know, my financial life being dealt to me. Yeah. and Because I think that's an important distinction because I don't want anybody out there who is is broke, strapped for money, uh, working really hard, you know, being diligent, you know, it's responsible feeling like... Oh, so it's um, my fault. Uh, it's my
0: fault. And let me be real clear on that distinction. Look, I'm I'm a socialist. <laughs> I'm an anti-war, pro-labor socialist, and so I can cite chapter and verse all of the ills of capitalism that put people in situations where they're they're busting their ass and they're working three jobs and still can't get ahead. And I'm not I'm not casting any aspersions on those folks at all. And I always wrote it off to, well, I'm in show business, which you know is up and down. It's crazy, right? And there's so much out of our control. But I realized. There is some stuff within my control. There is some mistakes that I made, and I had to own up to them. And um, so this friend said, you might want to start going to some of these support meetings. And I went to them and was like, oh,
1: man. What was the first thing that hit you? Uh, or some of the first things that were lights went off in your head, or or you had a sickening feeling in your stomach that that... Oh my God, this applies to me. This is something I'm going to have to work on. Yeah. Don't let me put words in your mouth.
0: But they, they started to, One of the support groups talks about how childhood trauma creates a mentality of under-earning, of like... Small. Small. Small is better. I'm not good enough, so I'm going to go small. And I was like, oh. And then, the, you know, creating chaos with money. So... Growing up in an alcoholic home, there was always sort of chaos. And so I had to realize...
1: Talk, talk about the thing you share with me about when your dad would pay the bills.
0: Oh, God. My dad would pay... Once a month, he would pay the bills. And we would have to leave the house because he would be like sitting at the kitchen table. This is in the 70s. Checkbook and a stack of bills. And he was like, was like we all had to leave the house. And that was considered normal. Because he was so angry. He was so angry. And you look back and go... The bills are coming every month. It's like, do you get mad when the sun sets every day? Like, like And you see that sort of insanity. And when you grow up in a chaotic home, you're sold that that insanity is normal. Right. You're told the sky is green. And when you go, no, it's blue. You're the crazy one. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I'm sure you've covered at great length on this yeah. on this show. <laughs> so you start to realize I was also raised with money chaos. You know, and there was my parents were children of the depression. So they grew up in this like, oh, and we had a nice, we weren't rich. We had a nice middle class mm-hmm. life. The way my parents would talk, you would think we lived in a cardboard house under a freeway. And we had nice, we all went to public, you know, we went to, I have, we went to public school, but good public schools. My, my I have a brother and two sisters. There's four of us. All four of us have college degrees from state schools. But we had, now granted, college was a lot, even a lot cheaper back then. Yeah. Like mine was like eight grand a year or now it's like 60 or something like that. But so we had, my parents had good jobs. We were never hungry. We never, it wasn't like I had bare feet, you know, like, Right. but the way they had this fear mentality and it is intergenerational money is an intergenerational thing. And the great depression, people should really not, people need to understand how significant as I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan of history how brutal the Great Depression was. Kids were put up for sale. You had to boil rotten vegetables because you couldn't afford to throw them away. It was rough and it affected the whole country. And so that intergenerational trauma got put into me and my family. And so then I had this not good enough and I started to look back on the, the little ways I would sort of under earn and get in, you know, and I don't have any like, you know, I told some studio executive fuck off or I don't have any, but there was these little ways I would hold myself back. I kind of always say, I'd knock on the door twice and then go, I guess they're not home. You know, like some agent or executive would go, I like your project. I'd email them once or twice. They wouldn't respond and i go, well, I guess that project's done. And it's like, because I didn't want to be the annoying guy. And there are people that do that and you don't want to do that in any business. That's got to be hard to find that line between um, healthy
1: persistence and avoidance.
0: Yes, and that's that's part of it. And like, you know, I was watching TED Talks and reading books and that's persistence is one of the things that successful entrepreneurs have. And finding that, that sweet spot of like, I'm not going to annoy you, like email you every month, but with a reason, not just, hey, what about that thing? What about that thing? Like, oh, by the way, I'm doing this project as well. And then eventually they go, oh yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to talk about this thing. Or even just, and I've seen where you persistent and then they finally at least give you a definitive no. Hey, you know what? We talked about it. It's not going to work out. Great. At least now Thanks. we know. Yeah. Versus just the, I don't know. Right. And making stuff up in my head. So in December 2019, when this happened and I started going to these support groups and I had these epiphanies, I was like, oh my God. And I was like, it felt like I woke up one morning and I was a heroin addict and didn't realize it. Really? And heard little things of like, you know, Buying stuff you didn't need. And again, I don't have like, I wasn't Rolexes. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. But it was like, I had this fountain I bought, a little feng shui fountain at a CVS or a Walgreens. And they're like, Do you have stuff that still has, it's still still sitting in the box with the receipt? And I was like, I have this fountain. And it was on sale, you know, like, so it was a good deal. And it was a $20 fountain on sale for 10 bucks or something. And man, I was like, I was crying and I was calling someone from the support group outside of the Walgreens to go turn it in to get my money back because I didn't need it. And it was like, ah. Oh.
1: so it's, it's not necessarily how much something costs it's are you trying to emotionally escape from feeling your feelings through yeah. purchasing something, yeah.
0: or or debting, or under earning, or, or or shopping, or? In, in, but I mean, in that instance, in that instance, yeah, it's like so so you know, drugs and alcohol. We use that to numb childhood trauma, or, or sex, video games, whatever. Shopping, debting, buying. In that instance, and I real I had to really sit down and un and un you know emotionally unpack what this was about. Well, I had lost my home, I went through bankruptcy and foreclosure. And yes, it was because we have a corrupt political system. Bush and Obama gave a trillion and a half dollars to the banks and it went to the banks. It didn't go to the people. Six million foreclosures happened. But I had someone in the group go, yeah, two things can exist at once. (laughs) Yes, we have a corrupt system. Yes, both parties are bought and paid for. And you, we have to take responsibility for our part in things. And I was like, oh, man. And it was really... You know, I was talking to somebody on the phone and I'm like, you know, I, 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 I just, I just started going to these support group meetings and I was like, you know, I'm going to go on the road and a friend of mine, I bought the plane tickets for both of us to do these shows. And then he gave me the money for this to pay off the plane ticket, but I'm was going to use some of the money for something else. And he goes, okay, what are you doing right now? So I'm just folding laundry. He goes, can you sit down for a second? I was like, okay. And he mapped out for me he's like, "This is a prop this is like compulsive behavior and I was like, "Oh, how so um it's one of the ways like this money is allocated just for this you don't use it for something else, and these little things of like well i'll use some of it to pay for this and that, and then the rest of it stays on the card, and then the credit card goes up and then Um, And then, you know, then there's a $10 fountain and then there's a $20 this and a 30 and you don't know. And vagueness is a big, like, I think my monthly expenses are this number. And I think I'm making about this number. And again, I would write off all those excuses as, well, I'm self-employed. I run my own business. It's different month to month. And vagueness is a big, is a big issue. And I started to realize after having done the two and a half years of like child trauma and EMDR, I was like, "Oh, my money is the last place my childhood trauma can hide." Wow. And this is the thing why it's so tricky. So, food and money are the trickiest ones because you can live your. You don't need drugs or alcohol to get through life. Mm-hmm. You need money and, and food, and that's why, you know, people who have emotional eat. You know, did you do you have a weight problem because that was you felt good about yourself when you ate or. Mm-hmm. Or then you'd shop or go buy or go, I'm going to go, go put a fancy trip on a credit card. And I was like, oh man, I had all these things. And again, like losing my house to foreclosure, there was definitely outside issues that happened, but I had to really look at my part in it. And oh, man, it was, and I cried a lot,
1: but I heard. What were some of the things that you uncovered that were hard to look at around losing your house
0: that I would use my money problems to create chaos how so i was always in some financial crisis oh, this and that and 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 it's like an alcoholic Oh man, my boss is up my hand, This and that, and my boss fired me for no reason. No, no, no. You showed up drunk or hungover six weeks in a row. You know, like, mm-hmm. and you know, the cop was headed out for me, or the woman at the DMV was. Maybe those people were dicks, but you.
1: Both can exist at both. is
0: the same time. You went right. in there with a problem, and so were you. Were you self sabotaging in your in your earning? There was some self sabotage in my earning, but then there was just like one of the things they talk about is, so when I heard people like talk about this in the meetings and somebody was like all these bills and we don't and in the reading they say we we don't plan for bills and taxes, and I was like I thought of my dad doing that every month and how crazy that was and then I thought every April fifteenth I'm like what again you know. And I remember having an accountant say, "You need to set money aside for taxes every year." And I was like, "I can't! Oh, it's a cash flow problem." Well, I learned the discipline to start doing that with the help right. of the support groups. Like, you, you take twenty percent off the top of every dollar that comes in for taxes, and another twenty percent for savings because I never had savings. That's when—that's when, that's when I in December of. I was like, "I had a decent year. How come I have nothing? My accounts are empty." And. I was—I thought of it when I stopped drinking. And I don't have the disease of alcoholism, but my drinking was out of control. And I remember going to the doctor for a checkup and he's like, how many drinks do you have in a week? And I was like, I don't know, three or four. And he said, you really like pin me, like how many? And I was like, well, I had three. Eight point, uh, no, that was 12. And I thought I just had a couple of beers. No, no, no. I had three or four beers five nights in a row. Like... Oh, and so I started to get that clear with my money and go through and they're like, track your, are you, do you know what your numbers are? No, get clear on your numbers. And then you see this, like, you know, you see this, you know, you talk about alcoholics. What was your drink of choice? So what was your drink of choice? Was it Starbucks You know, what was it like? And if you ask, oh, I probably spend 30 bucks a month on Starbucks. And then you total up, oh, it's $314 I spent, you know, and it's like the little stuff like that. You didn't,
1: you weren't. And it's not that that is a necessarily a bad thing. If you have the money, it's, it's the not keeping track of it and not being honest about it. Is, Is that correct?
0: Not being honest about it, not keeping track of it and not planning ahead for it. Gotcha. So it's like, if you want to spend $300 a month on Starbucks, great. Set it aside. And people will be like, I first got in there like, oh, I've got nine bank accounts. I'm like, that's crazy. I have a separate account for taxes. I have a vacation account.
1: I have. Well, people didn't come in because they had nine accounts. They developed nine accounts as a way
0: to deal with their money. Yes. Okay. To get that clear on it. So then I'm taking 20% for taxes, 20% for savings. So if I make $1,000, I have $600 to pay bills. And I remember going, geez, they're like, yeah, you might want to start earning more money. So it's not just about cutting back frivolous expenses. Right. It's like, you need to earn more. It's like, well, how do... And, and then you start, I, I started getting in that, like, l- figure out little ways I would hold myself back. And like thinking big and it's... Would it, would it be fair to say attempting to earn more money? Because
1: I'm just wondering about the people who are attempting to earn more money but aren't making more money.
0: Yeah, I it is attempting to earn more money. And again, part of it is the negative voices that develop in the in the traumatic home. Yeah. I'd like to earn more money, but oh, that won't work. Or, you know, I mean, we'll try, but and then, you know, like something, you hit a road bump... And my negative voice would go, oh, typical, of course. The one time I try, rather than, this is a speed bump, we're going to get, we're going to keep going. And uh, it, it was, so, so I, I want to be clear on this. Like, for me, getting clear on all the money that was spending, all the money that was coming in, and taking the 40% off the top. So then, and because I'm a small business owner, And I started working with like a networking group that was just all small business owners. And that was helpful because they were like, you need a a business account, a business savings account, and you need a personal checking and a personal savings. So then I started to have savings and like an emergency fund. And they're like, the emergency fund is different than savings. And I was like, what? So I started to have, I created all these different accounts. And then I had money set aside for taxes. And I had all of these accounts set up. And let's, do you have any money? They'd ask, do you have any money for retirement? Not really. And I, well, let's start that. Let's start an IRA. Let's, and all of a sudden I got out of the vagueness and got into all this clarity. And I was like, oh,
1: so, so what did it, what did it feel like when they were telling you these things that that must've felt overwhelming or was it freeing? It was both. Again, two things can exist at the same time. I would imagine it would have been one or both. It was
0: overwhelmingly free. One or the other. Yeah. Because you'd go, first you'd go, oh my. Like, for me, initially, it was like, oh God, I am really created. I've created a shit show. And then it's like, And then you go into the like shame and blame. Well, if I wouldn't have been abused as a kid, I'm mad at the abuse. You know, my life would be better. I'd be a millionaire by now or whatever. Go down that road. And it's like, no, you can fix this. You can, and everyone tells you their before and after story. And you go, damn. And you know, from support groups, people come in like (laughs) with some gnarly, gnarly stories. And then when you see how it helped, you go, oh, so you're not... I'm not an idiot. I'm not, this isn't, it's too late. I'm too old to fix. And it, you see everything change. And, you know, the pandemic hit and, you know, 30% of my revenue was road dates. I got wiped out. Well, they're like, you know, and this this networking group was like, you have these meetings with a man and a woman, one person, at least in your business in similar field, and they break stuff down for you. And you, you, you know, you ask for help and they, they ask you all these helpful, supportive, have you thought of this? And that, that networking working group was really great because small business owners, you know, this, you're small business. We have to wear 15 hats. Mm-hmm. We're like, we're, when you're a one man band, you got to learn how to play every instrument. And so, and they also were, again, ask for help. I don't know how to do that. Um, spend the money you know you, you 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 don't be scared to talk to a lawyer or an accountant and don't act like you work for them right they work for you not to be like, not to be like an overbearing dick but to, but right you, you know and for me personally the home you know i grew up in an alcoholic home so there was a lot of chaos so i was sort of addicted to chaos and would find myself creating it dating chaotic people in chaotic situations. And I, I felt alive and I heard a great expression. You don't go home because it's safe. You go home because it's familiar. And I was like, Oh, so when I started hearing these things and I was like, I initially was like, Oh God, I'm overwhelmed. And I feel, I feel like this is such a disaster. But then I would be like, Oh, but I can transform. And in a short amount of time, you started to see like, the bank accounts improved the the like you know and i i i i'd call a friend and say i want to dip into my savings to pay for this or that they're like okay but then you have to write a note that you're going to pay that i need that 300 dollars back you're lo- borrowing from mm-hmm. yourself you better pay that back when the next time you get paid at this date and i was like and i started doing that so i started to see the savings accounts rise mm-hmm. And then I they were like, okay, now you've got savings. Now you need to create get your savings to this number. Now you need to create an emergency account. So now you have an emergency. And so every dollar that comes in, it is every penny is spoken for. You know where it where it's supposed to go. And is that comforting? Very. Now I real whenever I'm I feeling a little like my numbers are a little vague. That's when I'm like, uh, I don't like this, and I need to get clear on it. At this, and you know, they're like ask questions. And the networking group is really because they're like, ask questions about this contract and that contract and be clear about everything. And I'm just finding myself being more clear, just like, you want to get together this time, that time. Well, let's do this time at this time. How long will it take? And I'm asking all these questions. Like any, any business. I was on a business call earlier today about a potential project and was like asking very Questions that I would have been like, oh, I'm uncomfortable talking about money. Mm -hmm. Because what was I taught about money? Leave the house. (laughs) Because dad's mad. Right. (laughs) So money shouldn't be this uncomfortable conversation. It really shouldn't be, you know, we need it to do everything in our lives. Without it, you literally can't survive, you know. So it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to say... How much is this going to cost, and what's my share of it, and what's your share of it? Great, now we now we know, and it's like it's it's improved relationships for me. It's it's my my business is doing really well, and it was doing the same, the revenue was generating the same, but now I have more. And even the last, you know, maybe four or five months, uh, you know, I have a YouTube show, and YouTube demonetized me, and you know the, these tech companies mess with your algorithm. And so some of the revenue streams have gone down, which was a little stressful, but it wasn't at, because I had all these accounts in place and all of these people to call. So you have buffers. Buffers. And I'm not just like...
1: I heard somebody say in a support group meeting one time, Serenity resides in
0: plan B. Yeah. And it's... Because you learn what's within my control and what is isn't. And the stuff that's out of my control, it's out of my control... Turn it over, let it go, and so I'm. And look, I three four months ago I was, in, I was feeling very stressed, and I was you know starting to do some more childhood trauma work, and that was triggering stuff and making me feel ah. But I was able to with you know the support group help of like no that's that's then that's not happening now, mm-hmm. and this is what the reality is. Cause you know, um, fear, you know, forget everything and run, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, false evidence appearing real. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and was able to like, in the past, you know, I went on a little like four day week long weekend vacation. Cause I had money in my vacation account and my, I was like, you can't go on vacation. You're not making as much money. In the past, I either would have not gone on the vacation or put it on a credit card. And now I went on vacation. It was already paid for. I mean, it was like, it was such a free, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a tour in October and I'm, I'm in Europe for, for two and a half weeks of the tour. And we've only got three shows and we're, I've never, we don't know how the ticket sales are going to be. And so, and I've got a lot of days off and so i'm using part of my vacation fund to pay for the days off so i'm not stressed about i'm going to lose money on this tour and and it's really i mean and i look at how this impacts every aspect of my life right so i remember before i started to get support group help and and therapist help is like i would date women and I would say you know if I dated a woman that was like nice and normal I'd say oh there's no passion there no no she had her shit together (laughs) 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 so I like the the chaotic girl that's what I knew yeah you know always in the drama and always in the chaos so then you start you know having money is even money is calm you know and 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 stuff outside of my control. I have no control over a recession. I have no control over stuff like that. But I can prepare for it, and I and I've and then you know, I believe that when you really turn stuff over to the universe and trust in the universe, which is a hard thing to do, really hard, especially if you've had childhood trauma. It's really hard to go. Oh, really, that's how you uh, protected me? Is that mm-hmm. when I was a kid? I mean, I've had some yelling. I've yelled at God. Like really. <laughs> And that's healthy. I think it's a very healthy thing to do.
1: I do, too. I mean, if you if you talk about,
0: you know, have a
1: relationship with God, believe in a higher power, well, any relationship, sometimes you're going to lose your fucking temper and you're going to say what's on your mind. And uh, I, I think if there is a, a God or a higher power, it can fucking handle whatever we have to say. Yeah, there's many times I've been like, "Why are you putting me through this? I'm so fucking tired. I can't handle this anymore. Fuck you. I'm gonna blow
0: my head off just so you and I can meet fucking face to face." I've said that like <laughs> it's fucking on, bitch. Like I've said that to God. I'm like, you and I are gonna when when my when I when lights are out, I'm coming for you. Man. You better be fucking ready. Like and you know my higher power is very loving. Like I view it like a grandfather. That's like yeah. okay. Yeah, you can yell and scream at me. I can handle it. And I'm sorry, you know, and I'm sorry you went through that. I'm doing this because so, I think you can be better and learn from it and help guide people. And okay. And that's like, that's been so healing. And then being reminded, you know, from friends like, well, think about all those times when you were taken care of, right? And it's like, yeah, yes times I was going to do something bad or destructive and I felt just a loving presence come around me and go no 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 or somebody just stepped in some angel just stepped in and and you think okay and 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 so that helped me go you know and being clear on like what my prosperous vision is you know for myself and you know last, you know the YouTube stuff I've been doing I've, I've liked it it's been you know I like Politics and showing the whole system is broken. When last year, I took a ton of shit because I I said something about performers have the right to ask. There was the whole vaccine mandate debate, mm-hmm. and I just said performers have a right to ask for proof of vaccine or positive test. And I have a lot of like anti-government lefties that follow me, mm-hmm. and a lot of them lost their shit. And there was a big fight on Twitter, and yes, yeah, screaming at me. You know, I, I lost fan. I had to debate this big person on a big podcast, and I was just like, oh. And I was like, and I was really mad. Um, and you're just taking shit from all sides, it feels like. And someone was like, is this really what you think your higher power's prosperous vision for you is? Is like arguing with people on YouTube. Creating chaos. Yeah, creating chaos. And I was like, no. And I want to, you know... You know, entertain and inform. I want my I want my entertainment to be informative. You know, it's
1: it's interesting. Is creative people? You know, I think we can always access that anger. Most of us, and sometimes it's the easiest thing to write. And I think we can fool ourselves sometimes into thinking, well, that's just my creative output for the day but deep down there's a little voice in us that says is this creativity coming from your highest self and you and you know it but sometimes it just feels good to humiliate somebody you know whether they read it or not somebody that is truly making the world
0: a worse place right. and and some of it too was like and I'm sure I I'm sure this line got muddled for me and I was getting pissed off and was maybe creating chaos and starting some fights some of it though and this is what i learned with the trauma therapy and stuff some of it was like you know being abused as a very small i was three years old my no got taken away from me so before i started to get help i would say i would either be a dorm doormat or explode were my only two those, that, that, those are two great options yeah <laughs> you're gonna burn calories either way just knotting up a resentment without yeah. saying anything. Yeah. Really, good. it's good. It's good core work. Yeah. No, will make you fat. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. And yeah. Start selling that. Um, so I, uh, so some of it was like I had to learn healthy boundaries. How to go? Wait, no, I don't, I'm not happy with this. And then part of it too, diplomacy and choice
1: of words and timing of words and tone of mm-hmm. voice. With the words.
0: It's also, too, as a comedian. So, you know, when we get heckled, we don't go, well, everybody gets a safe space (laughs) in a voice. And light them up you want to heckle it's, me
1: yes i'm gonna eat your goddamn lunch and they have no idea that they are triggering childhood trauma <laughs> with a guy with a microphone with a guy with a microphone and
0: experience and experience yes and, and a brain an, that works faster than yours
1: and anger issues And anger
0: issues and knows how to laser his words right. <laughs> so you know and so some of it, it's like i view like, you know, and as somebody who studied martial arts, like if you come up and crack me in the face, it's on. Mm-hmm. But I got to find, and what's, is this going to bring me joy and serenity if I'm start getting into these things? So some of it was like I needed to stand up for myself. And also I saw some people that I, in my opinion we're just chasing clicks for Mm -hmm. YouTube and stuff. Like if I say this, I'll get clicks because I'll get this group to follow me. And I was like, I I don't believe that. So I'm going to say what I Mm -hmm. honestly feel. And some of it was me being honest and taking shit for being honest. And that's my higher power going, you got to walk through this. Good Mm -hmm. for you for taking this, but everyone's not going to agree with you. And you got to learn how to handle that, Mm -hmm. which was good. And some of it maybe was me just going, you want to go, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just because somebody looked at me sideways. Um, So that was a, that was a a healthy thing to learn. But in that, in one of the things that came out of there was like, what do I really want to do? Well, I like, I like being a, I love being a comedian. I love it. And fell back in love with it, not performing for 16 months during the pandemic. And, you know, and and this new special I've got coming out, I'm so proud of it. It's material. It's, it's calling out the whole system, you know, is broken and, you know, it's inspired by like Bill Hicks and, and, and George Carlin and, you know, that, that documentary that came out about him when he goes at age 60 he's like i'm just now finding my comedic voice Mm -hmm. and i you know you and i were talking about before the recording stuff you're working on and how the writing and the creation of the words and and because i have seen the positive side of me talking about this on youtube and social media people going wow you're right wow both sides are corrupt why the whole thing is nuts you know wow everyone's tied to epstein or whatever Mm -hmm. like so I'm like, how can I do that in a positive way that isn't fighting with everybody, and also directing and producing I really love doing. And so my, the universe said, here, you know, just, there's this documentary. I'm somebody wants me to direct, and we're, they raised a little seed money, and I've gotten some consulting fees, and then this Native American series I put you know that I directed an EP that's on Amazon that that's you know let's give that a plug what's it called it's called First Nations Comedy Experience it's mm-hmm. on Amazon and Pluto TV it's the first ever native and indigenous person stand-up series I'm not native I always want to make that real real clear my friend Micah Wright, who was the head of the network, he's native. He hired me Mm -hmm. and it was amazing. And it was like, I got to work with, we did 13 episodes. I got to work with amazing comics. Some of my new, some I didn't. And we also had, this was Micah's idea. He goes, I want to have some non-natives come on the show that are, have bigger followings Mm -hmm. to bring non-native eyeballs to our channel. And Mm -hmm. very proud of that series. And, and, you know, we might be doing more stuff. And, and so that was really cool. And I was like, this is, and when I'm, you know, like, Talking production stuff, I just feel excited. Like when I helped co-produce the Los Angeles Podcast Festival that you were, which I loved. Oh god, it was so great! It was so much work, but man, did I love it! And as much as I'm grateful for my YouTube show and I have a great audience, um, you know, just sitting in my apartment talking to the camera about all the stuff that's messed up in the world sometimes gets is hard. And Mm. you know, I'm just like on a production meeting with with Zany's comedy club where I'm gonna shoot my special and, and how we're gonna shoot it. And everyone's on a Zoom call weighing in. I'm just I love this because it's like I grew up playing team sports. It's team. It's like mm-hmm. you block this guy, I block that guy, you know, like what do you we need this problem solved. How do we solve it? This person's gonna you know right. and I love that it's 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 creative and and also you know, in a production like that, and again, going back to the, the the support stuff for money in these calls, I'm asking a lot of questions that I probably wouldn't have asked in the past. Like, how much is this? When do you want the money? When's the deposit? When's this and that? And so you're seeing, I think, you know, when you're in alignment with the universe or God or whatever you want to call it, then things start. You, you know, this when something's supposed to happen, it kind of falls into place. Not easy. It doesn't mean you don't have to do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But when you really when, like when something isn't meant to be, it just you keep it just it's not happening. Yeah. When, when it does, it's like this lines up. Well, how are we going to get that done? Oh, here's a solution. Oh, wow, well, they can't do that date. Oh, we found another date. Like it's it's it just kind of like oh it it, it falls into place. You get a
1: sense. You get a feeling when the, you're working with the universe and not against it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and so that's like the journey and 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 learning how how money is such an emotional thing yeah. and in the same way like you know if 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 you're a recovering alcoholic there's all these advertisements for beer and then you know like mm. just like especially america buy 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 get the new yeah. one shop get you know got the old iphone get the new one you know everything's get the new get the fancy spend the money you've earned it, you know, all this stuff. And we're not taught financial planning in schools. Yeah. I think that's by design, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, you you there are a lot of outside factors, but once you, you know, at least for me, once I've started to, you know, see the outside factors and see how I was creating problems for myself, and then when you start to fix that, and, then, and again... Once you start working on yourself and taking responsibility for your part and stuff and accountability, the minute you step off that path, you see, oh, ah, this doesn't feel right. Like you said, the universe will go, mm, no. <laughs> so um, it's a really, and if you're someone that's like, oh, I'm going to let the universe or my higher power, or God into all areas of my life. And I was doing that except money. Like I got money on my own. Why would I? Mm-hmm. Why would I not need help? Yeah. With that, why would I think I can outsmart? You know. And so it's it's um, it, it's been a really, um, it's been a really just a, a a beautiful journey, and there's, and there's a lot of tears in there, but it's the it's the tears of healing. You know it's not the tears of victimhood or or you know shame and blame, it's the tears of like really profound healing um, and you know telling people you're sorry about this from this 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 time long ago and some people I don't remember some people were like, hey, man, I appreciate that. Um, and that's you know, forgiveness of myself first is huge, you know, like I, I was doing the best I could with what I had and you know that like my father passed away two years ago and he was an alcoholic and he was also a PhD and spoke three languages and taught me a lot of amazing stuff and there's also ways I w- he wasn't there for me as a dad that I wish he would have been but you know he, like I said he was raised in the depression he, he, so
1: he could order drinks in any language
0: oh yeah he could he could write a doctoral thesis and <laughs> he he could tell you what Bertolt Brecht's favorite cocktail was as he was had a PhD in German theater history you want to know how Goethe got drunk? My dad could tell you. Um, and so, yeah, I have a bit of my special about how my dad took us to Dachau when I was a kid. Wow!
1: Not that, not that you know, children shouldn't see that, but you know, that's a that's a that's a bold move, depending on how old the kids. are. I was
0: six. Little, that's pretty young. Pretty young. Yeah. <laughs> my sister was four. My oldest sister was fourteen. Okay. But yeah, but. Um, but that's one of the things too. Is you go as you forgive yourself, like wow, I did this stuff. Then I can go, yeah, my dad was going in the depression. His mom was probably raised in the late eighteen early nineteen hundreds. She was mean, but it was tough for her. She was mm. I grew up in the in Nebraska and Idaho in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen. I mean, come on, this was tough life for people, yeah. and so everyone was doing the best that they could. So it helps you forgive people forgive myself and also go you know if somebody's still exhibiting toxic behavior i don't need to be around that Mm -hmm. but i can just say i don't want to be around that without
1: attacking attacking them yeah
0: and i can just i can just establish that boundary for myself and just say you know i i hope they you know i can detach with love
1: the the nice thing about taking a look at your shit is it is easier to understand other people's Shit. Yeah, and to not get so fucking incensed because it's like, oh no, a lot of people gave me a wide fucking birth when I was a nightmare, <laughs> and m- moments today when I can be a
0: nightmare. You yeah. know? Yeah. It's. I know. I think about that. I think about like in my twenties. I just go, oh my god. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I really hope. People that are in chaos can find help and support group and therapists or whatever because the coming out of the other side of it is such a beautiful thing it's it is. it's it's you know uh, my friendship with you is is really is amazing you know like there's people like we've known each other a long time and you know that's that's some other friendships have like really now, we have some deep phone calls where
1: we yeah. talk about heavy, heavy yeah. shit. Yeah. And then I love that we can also have a sick fucking laugh right in the middle oh, of it. Dude. That's so nice.
0: It's such a beautiful... And that's why I love this show. You know, I've always loved this show, and that's why I featured it in Earbuds, because you... Because this show, you talk about heavy stuff, and its I'm sure it's hard for you to ingest a lot, to hear a lot of this. You have to be able to. And us as comedians... Comedians can make dark jokes in ways. Yeah. <laughs> They're so great. It just the stuff we've said to each other in the middle of a really heartfelt, yeah. Yeah. somebody's crying, maybe we're both crying, yeah. and then there's a pause and then a mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just a boom. It's like, <laughs> God, I'm, oh, I've laughed so hard, so hard at some of that stuff. It's so great. You came with me when I went to get a restraining order the first time. And I asked you to, like, will you come with me? And you you showed up, which is, like, why I love you. You're like my brother. And, um, you know, the person didn't show up. And you're like, that's weird. Coke heads are usually so reliable. <laughs> just whispering this shit to me. And I'm laughing. And I'm like, the judge is going to hear us. But you were deliberately being silly because you knew you saw how stressed i was obviously it's a stress very stressful situation i'm trying to get a restraining order against someone and you're acting like we're in the back of a trig class in high school but perfectly and intentionally it was such i was like i know what he's doing because at one point i was like what are you fuck are you trying to fuck me up and i was like no he's the one time you want her to show up I know she got out the one time be reliable for this thing and she doesn't and like and then when I got the one year you were there to witness I was like and the judge just went okay here's a one and I was like oh, yeah okay cool and and you were there and I was like oh it was so beautiful man like we've shared some really intense wonderful moments and that you're joking god damn I mean, you were writing shit down like god it was making me laugh you were making me laugh it's such a hard that's moment. what court's for Bring a jackass buddy with you to court. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Treat it like study hall, you know.
1: That's right. right. Uh, Let's plug some of your uh, stuff. Let's plug the... The special and some touring dates? Yes. um, so We're recording this uh, right now. It is uh, September 23rd, and you have some October dates?
0: Yes. So I'm on tour all of October. This this podcast I do with Lee Camp called Government Secrets, where we talk about all the evil stuff America's done, and then laugh about it. He and I Mm -hmm. laugh like this. He's a great comic. We have three European tour dates, um, Stockholm October 3rd, Berlin October 5th, and London October 12th, and those tickets are at GrahamElwood.com, and then I come back to get ready for my special. So I've got a show in. Um, I'm taping the special in in Chicago, but uh, New York City, October 18th, Madison, Wisconsin, October 20th, Detroit, October 21st, Cincinnati, October 22nd, and then I go back to our hometown, Chicago, at Zanies, the downtown Zanies, the original comedy club in Chicago. It's one of the oldest clubs in the country now. Yeah, and October 26th, I'm taping my first ever special. Oh, dude, I've done two albums, but I've never done a special. And like, it's an hour of my personal stuff, my social and political commentary, calling mm-hmm. out the whole system. And it's, I'm really proud of this material. And it'll be in a club where both of our headshots from the 90s oh are there. Oh my God. Yeah, your crew cut and my, uh, I have a, I'm have wearing a vest over a t-shirt, I think.
1: Nice choice. <laughs> nice choice. Uh, the 90s are a complicated time. Oh yeah. I was in my Y2K jumpsuit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so go to GrahamElla.com for the tour dates. And also, you can follow my show, Political Vigilante, uh, Government Secrets, tour dates, all that stuff. My social media, it's all at GrahamElla.com. Come to a live show. They're a blast. And, and, you know, you're not alone. That's why I always say, because you say that. Love you, buddy. Love you too, man. So glad we got to uh, cover that topic. I can't believe that we've
1: never really covered the relationship between trauma and, and money in the 10, 11 years we've been doing the podcast. Uh, we'll put the link to all of Graham's stuff under the show notes.
0: Delve into the shadows of
1: the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Let's dive into some surveys. This is from the, uh, don't read this one that often on the podcast. This is from the I Shouldn't Feel This Way survey, and this was filled out by a uh, woman uh, who calls herself lazy, spoiled, pregnant-looking, eight-year-old loser girl. God, I hope that's not her legal name. She identifies as straight. She's in her 30s, um... She says that she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, How would you like to be remembered? I'd like to be remembered as fun, strong, hilarious, principled, a good person, a strong advocate for social justice, and a beloved friend and family member. How does it feel writing that? I feel so far from that right now, it hurts. I feel like most people since me, I feel like most people since me as a strong and principled I don't think there's a typo, uh, but not that fun, hilarious person you want to be around. Uh, I'm training to be. A, apologize about me losing my way here. I'm training to be a lawyer, and I think I'll be a great one. I could see myself reaching the aspiration of being an advocate. I feel that I'm I'm loved tepidly or conditionally by my friends and family. How would you use a time machine? I would go back to my little self as little as I could understand me and tell her that she is beautiful, smart, amazing, a hard worker, and a good moral person. I would tell her the most important thing for her is to never criticize or blame herself for her pain. That doesn't mean she will never make a mistake or there is never anything she can do to be better. I just try to get across the message that it was important to take a balanced look at things and not just automatically blame everything on herself. List as many of these as you feel like. I'm supposed to feel blank about blank, but I don't. This is kind of a dark mad lib. <laughs> Uh, I'm supposed to feel okay about my childhood, but I don't. I feel so angry, hurt, and wounded. Throughout my childhood, my mom would tell me that I was fat, that I looked eight months pregnant, that I needed to stand up straight. She would call me spoiled or lazy, no matter how hard I tried to do things right for her. She was moody and terrifying and always taking things out on me and my siblings when she was stressed. Now as an adult, she's nice to me and does not acknowledge that any of those things ever happened. Well, I wouldn't call that nice. Uh, I've never tried to bring them up with her. I feel like since she didn't hit me much... And we had, quote, everything we needed, unquote. And because I've done so much therapy and work on this as an adult, I should be okay now, but I'm not. You know, I think an an important question to to ask yourself is, do I want to say something to her for me to get it off my chest or do I want to do it so that I can get a a reaction I want from her that will relieve me of some type of feeling? Because the latter uh, can I think, make things even worse if we're looking for a certain reaction from that person or at least counting on it. Um, How does writing these things make you feel? Uh, It hurts so much, it scares me. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? In a way, yeah. I used to think of myself as just emotionally neglected. Uh, by the way, if you've never read that book, uh, read it. It's by, by Dr. Janice Webb, and it's called "Running on Empty." Because I know on this podcast, a lot of times we read stuff that's really dramatic, and there are people out there who's like, yeah, I, "God, I feel so, I feel so left out. I wish my story was more dramatic so I could feel a part of this community." It. You know that book really helps explain how serious emotional neglect is, and the lack of things. There doesn't have to be dramatic stuff present for us to to be to be wounded. Um, so I, anyway, um, I now recognize that a lot that was going on was also emotional abuse. But I've done so much work, and I've come so far from where I was as a kid. It feels like I should be healed you know what I say? Fuck should. You're you're at where you're at. Uh, Also, my siblings don't acknowledge and we don't talk about how fucked up my mom's behavior was growing up. It feels like I should be able to put this behind me. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? Yes. Particularly if someone had a very similar neglect or abuse. I feel like the stories I hear are much more extreme than what I suffered. It would be nice to hear from someone who suffered many of the same things. It would also be interesting to know others who have parents who do not show any of the same behavior anymore. It almost makes me forget the, that the abuse even happened. I, thank you for, for filling all of that out. And um, you might consider uh, going to the, to the forum uh, and, and posting Because I think, uh, and you can find the forum through the website at metalpod.com. Because there's uh, there's some really cool supportive people on the forum, and I know you would hear your story reflected back to you um, there. And another suggestion would be a support group. Uh, I know that there's a couple of twelve-step ones around uh, um, uh, childhood dysfunction. This is. uh, This is also from the I Shouldn't Feel This Way survey, and this is filled out by a person, a guy who calls himself AC. He identifies as straight. He's in his 20s, says that he was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, How would you like to be remembered? As someone who tried their best and never wanted to hurt anyone. How does it feel writing that? Feels like I'm writing something much darker than a survey, even though I'm not. I've just never written this stuff down outside of that context. How would you use a time machine? I want to know what happened when my parents divorced. I was too young to remember anything, but the divorce was over my narcissistic father's drug addiction. It was pretty rough from what I've heard. I want to know what effect that had on baby slash toddler me. Uh write as many of these as you feel like. I'm supposed to feel blank about blank, but I don't. I feel blank. I'm supposed to feel ownership about mental illness, but I don't. I feel like I don't belong in this conversation or space. Um, it's interesting how similar that 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 is to the previous one that, that we read. I'm supposed to feel a sense of self-acknowledgement about my issues, but I don't. I feel like it's all in my head, and I don't actually have any mental illness. I'm supposed to feel clear about who I am, but I don't. I feel like I'm in a washing machine of emotions, memories, and daily responsibilities, with some moments of clarity in the air bubbles. It's like viewing life on the other side of a railroad crossing as the world's longest train speeds by. Oh my God, that is such a good one. That is such a good one. I've often described when when I especially before I got sober, it felt like I had a great life on paper, but it was on the other side of a plexiglass window that I, that I couldn't touch, and I couldn't feel. I'm supposed to feel something, anything, about whatever this situation is, if it even counts. It was unwanted touch in a small boat at night, but I should have gotten up and left. Uh, but I don't feel anything. Uh, I feel nothing for myself. The guy who did it is in jail awaiting trial for assaulting other guys and kids. I feel the full range of sadness for them, but I don't count myself as one of them. And that is so textbook for survivors, is, is that numbness and that minimizing. I'm supposed to feel certain about feelings, but I don't. I feel like I'm always asking, but am I really? And discounting myself after seeing how I'm doing. And that's another hallmark of people who've survived trauma is um, a, a discounting of our, of our own um, integrity and opinion on things, feeling like we don't know where the truth is in anything. How does it make you feel writing your feelings out? The same way I feel about them in my mind. There's a duality between legitimacy and beating myself up over thinking I have real problems. I know while this feels genuine in the moment, I feel like a poser once this is out in the world. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? Yes. Question. Maybe. Question. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? Good God. Yes. Well, AC, I can tell you other people feel the same way that you do, uh, myself included. Um. It comes and goes as, uh, as I've recovered and healed. But, uh, buddy, I want to say that your pain and your struggles are 100% legitimate and you are not making too big of a deal out of them and you are not a poser. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself not like the other girls. And she writes, When I first started dating my ex, he'd say things like, You're not like any other girl I've ever known. Personally, I found it cringy, and it felt like love-bombing. But my self-esteem was low, and I didn't have good boundaries at the time, so I'd always just say thanks and move on. As the relationship progressed, he became verbally and sexually abusive. And I stayed way longer than I should have. And then parentheses, remember the low self-esteem and lack of boundaries? Question mark, end of parentheses. Right before I broke up with him, we were talking one night and he said something along the lines of, you're so unlike any girl I've ever dated. I responded, thanks. And he said, no, you don't understand. I liked those girls. Oh, that's so good that you got out of that. Holy fuck. This is uh, from the Shame and Secrets Survey. This is filled up, filled out by a guy who calls himself, "I'm messed up, you're okay." Uh, he, identifies as straight. He's in his 50s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment. He writes, but with enough good things that for the first 35 years, I doubted myself on how bad it was. It wasn't until the birth of my first child sent me into a major depression that I sought therapy and got help. I'm doing quite well now, but still have low self-esteem and don't stand up for myself very well. Uh, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, getting spanked on my bare butt many times throughout childhood, walking in on my mother naked on the toilet with the bathroom door wide open, having my father explain why he was taking erection pills when I was about 10 after my mother found them and the house exploding in a huge fight. Seeing my older sisters walk around the house in very thin nightgowns that showed everything. Literally my earliest memory is playing with my brother with no pants on when we were about two or three. So that makes me wonder. Uh, I mean, it definitely sounds like there's covert uh, abuse in there. Uh, I mean, the, the household that you were raised in clearly had horrible boundaries and a sexually uh, charged vibe to it which is you know textbook covert incest uh he's been physically abused and emotionally abused um there's a lot of violence and screaming um any positive experiences with abusers very much so mom unexpectedly picked my brother and i up at school one time and took us to the circus Dad made a beautiful baseball scorekeeping book for me so I could score the Sox games. Sunday dinners were often fun. All of us had and have good senses of humor and there were tons of laughs. A therapist once told me it would have been easier to deal with it if they were assholes all the time. Yeah, so true, so true. Uh, That is one of the hardest struggles in making sense of our childhood is having both the dark and the light and having two really kind of Seemingly contrasting truths exist at the same time, and it doesn't mean that one of them is wrong. People are fucking complicated. I think that's a t-shirt. Darkest thoughts, being able to help my parents and instead watching them die. Uh, They're both 90 now, explaining to them everything they did wrong and how it fucked up my life. And those of my siblings, in excruciating details for their last hours alive, are spent in remorse. I think you got the makings of a romantic comedy right there. Um, Darkest Secrets, I'm a compulsive masturbator nearly every day. I hate it and love it. It fills me with shame. Um... Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, being with a young, good-looking, straight couple and giving and getting a blowjob while fucking his wife. Sharing this makes me feel aroused and odd. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Why? Why did you two people, both intelligent and gifted in many ways, fuck up your most important job, which was the proper rearing of your six kids? What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish that my siblings would get the help they need. I've been to therapy, and I was on meds for a few years, which helped. I eat well and exercise, which helps. I have an incredibly supportive wife who has allowed me to spend whatever money was needed for therapy and other things to help me. We're also in good shape financially, mostly due to her. Many of my siblings are alone and not well off, either emotionally or financially, and I wish... Their situations were better. I feel incredibly lucky to have survived and to be, be where I am in life. Have you shared these things with others? My wife knows almost everything and will hold me when I need to sob. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's so huge. Some of my friends and my business partner also know much of this. Most are very supportive, and when these things come up, it's amazing to learn some of the things they endured, too. How do you feel after writing these things down? Calm. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Please seek help. The worst place to be is in your mind and to doubt whether your experiences were, quote, bad or, quote, not so bad. Therapy and support groups can help you acknowledge the damage that was done to your young mind and body. Hey fucking men Hey fucking men Thank you for that. This is... our last survey and this was uh, this is from the Ask Paul Anything <laughs> this just filled out by a guy who calls himself Cunt Eastwood and he asks if Ben and Jerry's made a flavor based on your podcast what would it be called and what would be in it? I love this question and I thought about it. I thought hard and long about it and so he's, these are the flavors that I think would be good Perfectionist Peppermint And it never gets released because there might be somebody out there who says that there's the wrong amount of peppermint in there. So it's really just an empty carton that I keep on my desk at the Ben & Jerry's. At the Ben & Jerry's? At the Ben & Jerry's? (laughs) Said the old man. Uh, I'm thinking of sorbet, clinically refreshed. And it's so tart that it makes you get out of bed. Yes, mmm, it's every ingredient ever listed in a really boring way. Dialectical flavor therapy. Now this, it doesn't matter what's in there as long as it feels like too much. One scoop, it should feel unbearable. And I'm thinking there might be a companion, one to it called Marshmallow Linehan. I like that these are cracking me up, that I've already seen these. I wrote them, and they're cracking me up. Is that annoying? Uh, Bipolar bear. It's half chocolate, half lithium. So you get to run around for a little while, and then you get to hibernate. Uh, Covert insects. (laughs) It... And again, it doesn't matter what ingredients on, are, are in there as long as they are wildly inappropriate and they make your skin crawl. ocd delicious. The ingredients all have to start with the same letter and they have to be the same color. And then my last one. We're almost there. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it's fudge. It's pieces of stuff that seem like fudge, but not enough that you're comfortable calling it fudge, because that wouldn't be fair to ice creams where it's clearly fudge. And on that note, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you for your surveys. Thank you to my guest. And if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, just never forget that help is out there and you are not alone. And thanks for listening.
0: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird ways. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but
1: you already knew that.